Hey guys, this is Chris Broussard back with In The Zone, and boy, do we have a great interview for you today. 18-year veteran Jamal Crawford is on the phone with us. He has some amazing stories about Michael Jordan, LeBron James. You won't believe his Meta World Peace story. Lonzo Ball, Paul Pierce. This dude has played with just about everybody, been coached by just about everybody. So he has some incredible tales about these guys as teammates, opponents, so on and so forth. But first, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Check us out on SoundCloud. Even leave us a comment and five stars. So with all that said, let's get to Jamal. Yo, what's happening, man? You got it. How you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for doing this. You got of course, man. You about to start a uproar with your your handles list, man. <laughs> I know you probably getting a lot of tweets. People are like, yo, man, where you are at on the list? Yeah, they be tagging me. I don't even. I don't even reply to it. <laughs> now nah, it was you. As you can imagine, it was a tough list. I'm gonna ask you about yours once we nah. get this. Once we get this. Uh, this thing uh, taping. Going. Yeah, and I I thought about it. The more it, like. There were so many people I forgot. I can't make one, man. I really, I'll be doing somebody else's service. Like, just so many people. Yeah, it's, it's tough. It's definitely tough. So, it's did tough. y'all did nah, y'all have y'all really had practice tough. today? No, nah, he gave us a day off. Oh, y'all had a day off. Okay, cool, cool. Y'all yeah. go. Y'all play. Y'all at home tomorrow? Yeah, you must be. Yeah, we at home for one game and we leave again. Okay, cool, cool. Well, we ready to get rolling, man. So, you you ready? Yeah, let's do it. All right, cool, cool. Well, look, I I just did for my podcast my top five dunkers, game dunkers of all time. So we're going to get to that later. I'm going to ask you about your list later. But as you saw last week, I did my top five ball handlers in NBA history. And that was uh, Pistol Pete Maravich at number five, Isaiah Thomas, the legend, the original from Detroit at number four. Steph Curry at number three, Jason Williams, White Chocolate at number two, and Kyrie Irving at number one. Uh, you were one that I hated to leave off. Uh, a lot of people uh, hit me about you and Allen Iverson and a couple other guys. What what what'd you think of uh, of my list? I honestly didn't have a problem with it. Like I, I really honestly didn't. When you think about it, there's been so many great ball handlers. Like so many people that you can make a case for that somebody's going to be left off at the end of the day. Yeah. You know, you got guys like, like Baron Davis, Steve Francis, Kenny Anderson, you know what I mean? Like there's so yep. many great ball handlers at the end of the day who aren't going to make the list. Cause you're only doing five. You yep. know, and, and I know that's kind of like the popular number for everything, you know, top five rappers. You know what I mean? So yep. five is kind of yep. like the magic number, but with that, I just think somebody's going to be left off. And I, I remember telling you, I thought I had my five, but, now going back and seeing like you know all the names and all the people and just it's it's impossible. It really is impossible to do just five people. So you don't have a top five. I don't. I thought <laughs> I had a few that would be in there regardless. Yeah. But then once you start thinking about it more, like you start going back watching film on people and watching different people, like it's it's impossible. It really really is impossible to do it. Is and the, you can make an argument for any of these guys. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a guy? that you would say had the most influence on you in terms of your handle? I would say mine was Isaiah Thomas and Allen Iverson more than okay. anybody else. Okay. Because, like, I mean, 
Isaiah, he was the one I seen like first going behind his back, dribbling the ball. You know what I mean? Like like almost like he was sitting down in a chair, being able to do a, a behind the back move. Most people were doing like the round behind the back, where they're kind of running at you yep. and go behind your back. Isaiah's was the first I saw like sitting down in the chair. And obviously, I saw Kimmy Anderson do it in college when he did it a couple of times and, and did the move on Bobby Hurley. You know, I mean, there's just so many people that that put those two more than anybody else. And then you got guys like Baron Davis who had a mean hand doing moves and Tim Hardaway and Steve Francis. So there's a lot of dudes who, who could really handle that rock. When you came into the league in 2000, I mean, that was right kind of at the and one mixtape craze. And did yeah. that, did that, a lot of people probably look at your handle and think you got a lot from them. Did you take a lot from those tapes, or were you kind of doing a lot of that stuff before those even became popular? It's somewhere in the middle, because I was doing a lot of that stuff anyway, but then to see it, like, people actually recognizing what they were doing. Like, I was, I remember watching the first and one tape, and it was mostly about Skip and seeing the stuff he was doing at the Rucker. And I'm like, oh, that was nasty. That was cold. You know what I mean? So yeah. it kind of, they kind of went in sync with each other. And then, you know, to see guys like Jason Williams doing the NBA, who had one of the, the meanest handles ever, yeah. you know, in white chocolate. And then see guys like, uh, who's somebody who had a, a crazy handle you wouldn't even think of? Like, to me, uh, my mood, like, he didn't show it all the time, but to be able to get a shot the way he did, he could handle the ball. You wasn't going to take it from him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he yeah. could make you look silly. So it was just so many different guys who who had some type of influence on me handling the ball, but Iverson was just mesmerized. You know what I mean? The way he did it. And he, he put almost like the street behind it. You yeah. Know? He put that extra to it. And that's yeah. why I was like, oh, this is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> you mentioned Mahmoud, uh, Chris Jackson, Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf. And Phil Jackson once said he that Steph Curry reminded him of Mahmoud Abdul-Raouf. And he got a lot of flack over it. But let me ask you this. If Mahmoud was in the league today with the emphasis on the three-point shot, what what do you think he'd be? He would destroy this league. He 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 was so unorthodox with how he scored. He's actually one of my favorite players ever. Like I have a, a, a top ten list and he's right like on the my bonus players. Like he's he's unbelievable. Like he just he could get a shot off at any time. He was so herky jerky. He had the quick twitch. He had he could shoot off, you know, without being square, without having his feet uh facing the basket. It was automatic, and he did it with, like, no emotion. He didn't get too excited yeah. when he did it. So players like that, they're tough to me. They're tougher to read. You know what I mean? Because they're yeah. not like, oh, yeah, you know, they did it, and they're excited, and, you know, it's a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Like, you never know when he's going to attack. And I think he's your one of your favorite players' favorite player. You know what I mean? Like, yep, people, yep. he has everybody's respect. That's, do, that's who he is. Do you yeah. think he'd be like Steph today? Well, Steph, I think he took more mid-range you know, at that era, you were, yeah. like, I remember when I came in the NBA and I was a point guard, it was get a ball to the big, get a ball to your wing, isolation score, and that was it. If I told you I was going to take 10 threes in the game, I don't care. How, the coach would probably <laughs> say, I don't care how good of a shooter. You ain't taking 10 threes in the game. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's just different. It's so different. But So to me, I can see the similarities just from the scoring standpoint. Like they're unorthodox. They're fun to watch. They can get going. They can go on rolls, you know, and, and – from that aspect, I don't think their games are nearly identical, so to speak, but I think they're, you know, I could see, okay, I see what he, he saw when he said, when he said that. Yep. Now, you mentioned you got a top 10. Uh, can you share that with us? Top 10 yeah, favorite. Yeah, it's your sure. top 10 favorite players, or you think who this, you think are the best? No, nah, these are just my favorites. Okay. And okay. one guy in here we're going 
mention who who got a, a crazy handle too. But um, my top ten favorite players is Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, original Isaiah Thomas, uh, and then I got Kobe, Iverson, GP, and then T Mac, Grant Hill, Penny. That's nine. Then I got Garnett. It's ten. He's my only big on my list. Wow. And then my bonus guys is like yeah, my bonus guys is like Baron Davis, Mike Moo, Nick Van Axel. Okay. So those okay. are like my favorites at different points in my life. And Nick Van Axel was the other one I was going to say who had a, a nasty handle as well. What would you say kind of makes you like a player, you know, that, that's going to put a player on your list? Yeah, I think the flavor they play with, the swagger, um, you know, how they make people better, how some of them do things you can't teach, how the game is easy, you know, for some of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Jordan, it was obviously like these guys are winners. You know, and however yeah. you cut it, they more than anything they're winning. They're competitive, like they're they're all winners. You know, at just different points in my life, those are my favorite players. I mean, and obviously like a Dr. J, he's on that list too. Yeah. You know, it's one of the I don't like tens even almost impossible because I love so many players. I love just the history of basketball. And if you notice, every player I say on the list is older than me. So these yeah. are all guys I grew up watching. You know, I mean, it wasn't like like obviously LeBron's one of the top five players that ever played, but he's younger than me. You know what I mean? So yeah. these are guys in when I was going from adolescent to high school who are my favorites and, and that's where it kind of stopped do you have jordan as the goat yeah i do okay okay do, where do you kind of where, where do you kind of fall in the lebron like how you know there's a lot of debate lebron versus jordan what's your take on that yeah i, I think lebron's honestly like and i've known bronze since he's in high school honestly i think bronze kind of his own thing you know, I think he's like, if you say, okay, this is Magic Johnson, but he can jump like Jordan. Like, he's mm-hmm. he's more Magic Johnson to me than he is Jordan. Like, Kobe is more Jordan to me. I Just from the makeup, the mentality, the scoring ability, you know, the way they kind of view the game. Like, LeBron, he, he would rather play the game. He plays the game with his, his, his IQ first. Not saying these other guys don't, but they, they do it more so with, like, I'm going to impose my will. You know, I'm, I'm, that's how Jordan and Kobe kind of do it. LeBron, his first thought is to get everybody off. You know, like, let me get you guys off. Let me get your shots. I'll take over when I need to. Mm-hmm. But he's more – don't forget when he came in the league, he was a point guard. Yep. But to me, he's more, you know, like cut from the Grand Hills, the Magic Johnson, uh, you know, that kind of cloth. And he just took it to a whole different thing. But that's who, to me, he is more so than Jordan. Do you think people – because they compare LeBron and Jordan. But do you think people just overlook Kobe – Cause most they you don't hear yeah. the Kobe MJ you know what I mean or even Kobe Lebron you hear yeah. Lebron Jordan. Yeah, yeah, it's it's that's amazing to me. Like if people forget how good Kobe was when he was twenty four to twenty nine to thirty, like at his peak, and he was still good all the way. He's one mm-hmm. of the best players ever played. I'm saying they forget, like you know when he was twenty eight, how he was dominating the league. He averaged fifty for two weeks. Like he had an eighty one point game. He had sixty two and. Dallas has 61. Like, he has so many different things. Kobe's like, Kobe's out of this world. You know what I mean? So, to me personally, they're both on my top five best player list, like LeBron and Kobe. And obviously Jordan. Who's the rest of that list? Uh, That list, and I never even said that, that list to (laughs) me is is Jordan, Magic, Kareem, uh, LeBron, and Kobe. Wow. Kobe LeBron, not in order, but I'm just saying yeah, those are yeah, LeBron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no disrespect to nobody else. Yep. I just think that you could put in any era and it would be the same. 
you know, like, and I'm not saying it wouldn't for other people, but it's just, you know, I just think it'd be the same if you put them in the year. They could dominate in the year. Who's the best player that you played against? I mean, one on one, like that you guarded, that guarded you. You know what I mean? Who would you Kobe. say? Okay, Kobe. what was that Kobe. like guarding him? It was. You never knew what he was going to do. Like most people, especially now, a lot of the guards, like we talk about, they do it with their handles. Kobe mm-hmm. does it with his footwork. You know, so his is so different because he can have you jumping. He'll pump fake three times until you don't jump anymore. Then he'll shoot. Like, he was such a technician, and he had the ultimate green light and the ultimate confidence. So he he just was – he was a nightmare to guard. Like, you knew that something bad was going to happen when you, when you were guarding him. Yeah. So for me, he was, like, the toughest to guard, and then Allen Iverson and then Dwayne Wade. Okay. Those three were, like, the absolute toughest I ever had to guard and match up with. Now, I sure. I imagine – you're the type of guy that when you go on the court, you feel like you you can outplay anybody. How does yeah. a player – how do you have that mentality when you're facing guys that are, you know, like you said, top five all time. They get, they're always on right. the all-star team. You know, like you know this dude is like an all-time great and most people would say better than you. How do you go out there and feel like I can outplay him? Right. But, well, for me, I think – First off, I think that's half the battle, right? Like most of the guys think, oh, this is that guy, and they don't want to attack them. No, I'm going to attack them because you may score on me, and we all know I'm not the best defender. Like I'm just being all the way on it. <laughs> but I feel like I can make something good happen on my way when I got the ball either way because at my size, at 6'5", be able to handle the ball like that and be able to shoot, I feel like you got to get up something. Like you either respect the drive, you can respect the shot. So I feel like I can – get wherever I want to go on offense, no matter who you are. Mm-hmm. That's no disrespect to the best defenders ever played. I just, that's just the confidence I have from the work I put in and from my game being different and just unique. I think I can, you know, pretty much get minds off against anybody. Was there a defender or is there that you just hate going to like, man, just a pest, you oh, know man, what I mean? Tony Allen, okay. definitely. Because he takes pride in defense like guys do when they're scoring the ball. So him getting a stop is him scoring. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. he, he, he was cut differently. He's going to always play aggressive. He's going to always – he had quick feet and he had quick hands. So he was definitely uh, one of the toughest to ever play against. Bill Christie was great. He had great instincts, great length, uh, quick, fast, all that as well. Uh, Bruce Bowen was great. You know, Avery Bradley is great now. Yeah. There's some guys who are really – you know, can really do a good job defensively. Kawhi Leonard's great on defense. Uh, Draymond is great overall because he can guard anybody. You know, yeah. guys that run pick and roll and switch. I go against a guy every day who's great on defense and Jimmy Butler yeah. as well. You know, yeah. there's some good defenders. Yeah. There was a great Sports Illustrated piece on you recently, and I read something in there. It was he hard for me. It, to right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was great. It was great. Um, he killed it. You, they, somebody, I think it was some of your friends were saying in the piece that you never work on your handle. I mean, you know, just when you play and pick up and games, you'll work on it. But you don't just go and do ball handling drills and stuff. Is that true? That's absolutely true. And to me, that's why I think my ball handling is different than anybody else's uh, because it's not like – it's not scripted. I'm only reading what you're doing. You know, I have a foundation of what I like to do, but after that, it's just read and react. And I came up with that just always keeping the basketball in my hands. I remember dribbling down the street – 
people walking towards me. I'm shaking them. You know, these people going <laughs> to their office are going. They look at me like I'm crazy, right? And I'm going. I'm, I got the I got the ball walking in the mall. I got it going to movie theaters. I'm traveling on the airplanes. Would you dribble in the mall? Oh yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Sure, I drove anywhere, and I'm just reading and reacting. And to me, it's more realistic from that standpoint, playing and doing it. Because if I'm just doing cone drills, I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with that to kind of give you a start, your foundation. But it's not realistic because that cone is not a six six, six seven athletic wing who can cut you off and slide and move. You know what I mean? So <laughs> if you do that move you were doing with a cone, it doesn't work. Then what do you do? You're kind of stuck because mm-hmm. you didn't come up with a counter. Or you weren't. You know what I mean? So yeah. it just wasn't realistic to me. I'm like, I'll just try it against the, the grown man and the people I'm playing against to see what works and what doesn't. Wow, that's that's interesting, man. You gonna have kids doing that now? You know, faking yeah, out corporate yeah. executives on their way as they walking down the street. <laughs> <laughs> with that basketball, it just became one. I can, and it's crazy to be honest with you. See, is I can do everything I do with the ball with my eyes open, my eyes closed. Like it's just a part of my hand. The ball wow. is really like a part of my hand. I can do anything with my eyes closed that I can do with my eyes open. There, there are guys that are great. You know, dunkers, obviously great ball handlers, great shooters. Um, you know, I, I don't even want to mention great defenders. That's not as much of a skill as the other things I mentioned. But if you had to pick one that you were known for, not that you couldn't do other things, but, you know, if you had one of those ultimate skills, what would it be, ball handling, shooting, or dunking? Oh, it just has to be one. Yeah, like, you know, you were known. Like, Steph, he, he got a great handle, but he's kind of known for his shooting. Dr. J going to be more, known for, for dunking. Me, I think ball okay. For me, more ball. Yeah, because like you said, at a time when I was coming up, it wasn't, ex- like, really acceptable in the NBA. It's like, yeah, you do that on the street. You can't do that yeah. in the NBA with the best players in the world. So I kind of, you know, kind of, I don't know. I don't want to say brought it to because I didn't bring it to the NBA, but I kind of made it work in the NBA. Mm-hmm. Kind of that and one kind of flavor, you know, and obviously Skip did it and other guys did it, but I kind of, you know, I outlasted the guys who they kind of frowned upon for doing that. Yeah. You know, so for me, I think the ball handling part for sure. You and I, we were texting a few weeks ago. I was trying to figure out the hip hop equivalent of you. You know, you kind of mentioned your yeah. favorite players, favorite player, you know, and you would be, you know, yeah. a lot of guys, you would be that for them. I I think the ultimate, like I put this out on Twitter too, and the best one I saw was Jada Kiss. Like I I, I would say Jada Kiss would be your hip hop equivalent. Who who do you feel though is your hip hop equivalent? I would say Kiss. I would say Kiss. And, and I mean, I think Kiss, I think, Andre 3000, the reason I say that with 3000 is because, to be honest with you, like, everybody now kind of knows me as the sixth man and all that, but who's to say, like, in this new league where guards can really fire it up and, you know, score and do their mm-hmm. thing, and me kind of sacrificing in the middle of my career being a sixth man after averaging 20 for three straight years, what if I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to be a sixth man, I'm just going to continue to start and kind of stay headstrong with that. You know what I mean? And yep. kind of just stay to see – you know how good I could have really gotten. Because I know I sacrificed a lot, you know, and that's just the reality of it. Yep. I sacrificed a whole lot to become a man. So if I would have just stayed true and was like, you know what, I'm just going to ride this thing out. I'll eventually get to a winning team. I'm going to stay starting. I'm going to stay, you know, doing what I can to, to kind of help change that and do numbers and all that. Then who knows if my career would look different or not. So, what, um, yeah, what? so I say Drake. Yeah, go ahead. I said Drake 3000. 
I say Dre 3000 from the standpoint that, you know, he never dropped a solo album, but he was always known as part of being a group. You know, mm-hmm. like I'm kind of that group guy right now. I never really got a chance to drop that real solo album. So. Yeah. And his yeah, game when is he different. Was, yeah. And with the metrics, analytics, and all that. So. Yeah. You know, nah, that makes that, that makes uh, sense. Uh, that makes sense. What What led you to accept that? The, the six man award because you were right in the middle of your prime, your tenth year, still yeah. young. You know what led you to do that? Honestly, at the at the core of who I am, like I love, as much as I love basketball, I love winning. So I got to the point. You know how it is. Once you've been in the league eight nine years, they don't care whose fault it is at that point. Yeah. If you haven't won, yeah. it's coming back to you. You know what I mean? Right. So I'm You're like, right. I, I want to win more than anything. So I'll do whatever it takes. I'll be a six man. And when I said that, I really meant it. And I, I guess, you know, from there, my career's taken on a life of its own and a whole different path. But I never come off the bench up at that point, my whole life. Like, I never. Mm-hmm. You know, so that was a whole different journey. You know, and I think, for me, that's what I think I'm most proud about, having 18 different coaches and being able to adjust to every single situation and being able to, to rise above it, like, no matter what it was. Imagine if a guy's in college right now, he's a freshman, he has a good year, he averaged 15. His sophomore year, he has a different coach. The coach don't really like him as much. He averaged seven points. There's nothing wrong with him, but the coach don't want to use him that way. Mm-hmm. His junior year, he gets another coach, and this one kind of likes him, so he averaged about 11. In the senior year, you know, he has a different coach, and this coach doesn't want to play him at all. So I just, all those different situations, and able to rise above it. And like, I came in this game as a point guard. Then I got moved to a two guard. Then I was a starter, and I got moved to the bench. And through all that, I was able to rise above it. And that's what I think I'm most proud of. You mentioned, you know, young guys, you get to a level, a point in your career where you just want to win. My feeling, I've covered the league over 20 years, is that when young guys come into the league, your your main goals are to establish yourself as a star individually, to get that max deal, you know, because it is a business and it's how you make your living. And then I think, I feel like, when you, like, to, as you said, when you don't win – no matter how good you are, people don't really give you the respect your game deserves. And then right. that's when a lot of guys, you know, start thinking, yo, I want to win. I'll sacrifice a little bit to win. Is that – do you feel that's an accurate depiction of – because I don't think that most dudes come in the league like, I just want to win a championship even if I only average six no. points. You no. know what I'm saying? To be honest, to me, I think the first thing people do when they come in – besides even the max contract, before that, they want to establish that they belong. They want the respect to all their peers that, you know what, I didn't make a mistake coming out, I'm doing my thing. You know, people back in my hometown are like, man, you're not just on the bench anymore, you're playing in there, you establish yourself. So I think that's like the first thing. You want to show that you belong among the best players in the world. Then once you kind of conquer that, you're like, okay, I want to, like you said, I want to get a big contract. I want to, you know, I want to be an all-star. I want to do this and that. Then that's when that stuff starts coming in. Then it's almost like you go full circle to when you were just in high school or a child after all those things are accomplished or, you know, you kind of get that out the way or your mindset changes, whatever it might be. You're like, no, nah, I just want to win, whatever mm-hmm. it takes. And you see guys kind of go through that. And for me, um, it was just like at the core of who I was, I was at, like my first two years with the Bulls, we were the youngest team in the league both years, back to back, you know. And then yep. I went to a Knicks team that could have won. We were kind of in transition. And then once we start getting good, I get traded. Then I go to a Golden State team who is after the We Believe, you know, era. And Monte yeah. has come back from a moped injury. So it was like just bad timing. And I was like, man, I don't care what it is. I just want to win. Forget I've averaged 20 points for three straight years or whatever. The team would be 20 points. I just want to win. So I'll, I'll be a sixth man. 
whatever it takes, and that's when it kind of went from there. You mentioned at one point that you had 18 coaches in eight – I think this is your 18th season? Yeah, yeah so 18 coaches, 18 seasons. Only three players have ever had more than that. Do you ever think about what would have – what your career would have been? Let's say early in your career or the middle of your career – you know, you pl- you were in a stable situation. Like you had one coach for four or five years straight or six years. You know what I mean? Like a more stable situation, right. where do you think your career might have gone? It would have been totally different. You know what I mean? Like just like if you – imagine you. Like say you're, you know, you're at this show, then you're that show the next year. You just keep constantly kind of moving. It's hard to, to really, you know, say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do – do the best I can do and really grow from this point on, like mm-hmm. in this situation, you know, because everything's changing. I've had the same coach back-to-back years one time or twice in my career, <laughs> once in New York and, and with Doc, I, where yeah. they were like back-to-back years I had the same coach. You know, so it's totally – look at Manu. Look at Tony Parker. Yeah. Like they played for one coach their whole career. So he was able to learn them. They learned him. They were able to see him grow. They knew – you know, they knew each other. You know, when you know somebody like that, you know what makes them tick, what doesn't you know, what what it is to push him, I'm going to put him in the best situations or whatever. Yeah. It's just a whole different comfort level. You know, and that's why for me, it's just it, my career, this is just my journey. I would have never predicted it went like this, but this is kind of what it is. So I was trying to make the best of the situation. You, you, a lot of people would probably put you on the list of top players that hasn't made an all-star game. How many all-star yeah. games do you feel like you should have made? I feel like I should have made three. And I even know the years of them, to be honest. With you. <laughs> what years? <laughs> so, <I> think, <laughs> so, so one year, if you go back and look, I averaged, I think it was 07, 06, 07, or 07, or 08. I averaged 20 points, six assists. No, 20 points, five assists. I was only one of three players in the in the league not to average, you know, to average over 20 and five and not make the All Star game. And I was in New York. And at that time, they're like, well, you got to be winning. Well, since mm-hmm. then, I've seen guys who aren't winning. Yeah. who put up numbers yeah. and make the All-Star game. So I'm like, okay. So that was one. My first year in Atlanta, when I averaged 18 off the bench, we were the third seed. We got two guys to the All-Star team. I'm the second leading scorer off the bench. I'm like, oh, this is the year. I'm going to make it. And, and you know how they do, like, the award shows. And I think Charles Barkley and Chris Webber, I'm going to send you a picture of it. They even had me on their All-Star team. Like, you going to make it. Okay. He's going to make it this year. <laughs> right? But I was coming off the bench. I could have did the exact same thing starting. I was in 18 points. I would say, oh, he's going. Mm-hmm. But since I was coming off the bench, it didn't happen. So that was the second time. And then the third time was my first year in L.A. Again, I was leading fourth quarter in scoring, second leading scorer on my team. We were actually fighting for number one in the whole Western Conference the night they selected. And we ended up losing. But we, so we lost OKC and I think. And I was, we were second. But I was still second leading scorer. And again, Two people had me on their all-star list and mm. make it. So that was the three times I thought I really should have made it. Do you remember who made it over you? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I, I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to tell you my first year in New York. I mean, I'm sorry, not New York. My first year in L.A., me and Steph are talking on the court. I'm like, oh, because you remember, in 12, he didn't make the all-star team either. Yeah. So my first year in L.A., we're talking like, man, you think you're going to make it? He's like, man, if you don't, I know he said, if, if I don't, I think you are, and if you don't, I think I am. So we both thought one of us was going, and one of us wasn't at the time. Wow. And neither one of us made it. Yeah, and neither one of us made it. What is it hard for you, or was it those years, or or just during that prime of your career, to watch the All Star Game because you feel like you should be yeah, there? Yeah, it was. 
No, nah, it really was. That's the and you know what? I've never been to one. I always said I was never I would never go to an all star game or an all star weekend unless I made the game because and I've gotten invited to the three point contest, I've gotten invited to the skills challenge over the years, but Oh, I so that's like, why uh-huh. you don't go. So you turn them down because you, you – Yeah. You, wow. Yep. That's why. So I was like, my talent warrants that, that you know, like being an all-star game. So I'm not going to sell myself short and say, oh, you know, I'm part of the festivities of the weekend. Like, no. Nah. Wow. I'm not in the game. I'm not going to the game or any of that. So I've never been. That's interesting. That's interesting. Now, you from Seattle. And, man, I mean, Seattle, y'all produce some tremendous players. I mean, Isaiah Thomas – uh, Brandon Roy, Nate Robinson, Jason yeah. Terry, Avery yeah. Bradley. Now you got Michael Porter yeah. Jr., yeah. you know. Yeah, um, Brooke. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people. Yeah, like, how do you account for that? I mean, I don't remember Seattle before all you guys being like a basketball hotbed. I mean, you had a couple guys, James Edwards. But uh, you know what I mean? Like, how do you – why do you think Seattle became this just great basketball area? Well, you know, it rains a lot, so we're always in the gym. <laughs> no, nah, for real, it was uh, – uh, first it was like Clint Richardson, it was James Edwards, and then it was Christie, and then it was like a real, real big gap. And after that, it was uh, Mike Dickerson and Jason yeah. Terry. And so when I was in high school, it was a big thing. More guys – it was more known as a football state. Like more guys were going to college in the NFL from the state of Washington than basketball was. So after Jason Terry went in 99, and then I came in 2000, and then the door just got kicked open. Then you got – Nate, you got D-Roy, you got Martell, you got Spencer, you got Luke, you got Avery, you got Isaiah, you got uh, Stucky, you know, you mm-hmm. got uh, everybody. Yep. You know what I mean? So yep. it just really kicked in the door. And I think part of that was the culture we kind of created. You know, and it started when I was in Chicago. I saw Antoine Walker over here. I saw Mike Finley over here. I saw Tim Harder over here. And they, like, played basketball together. But, you know, to me, that's all I really saw. So I'm like, no, nah, when I go home, I want the, like the older generation to kind of be around the younger generation, whether in high school, eighth grade, whatever, and we just create this community, and that's kind of what we've done, and, and we just kind of kept it going. Yeah, that's that's amazing. I mean, per capita, you guys, that's probably arguably the best place in the country for basketball. Yeah, it's one of them. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely one of them. I don't want to shortchange anybody, but it has to be top two or three yeah, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Michael Porter yeah. Jr., he's at Missouri. Um probably one and done could be the number one pick. He scored 47 in your pro-am league this summer. How, how good you think he'll be, you know, can be in the Oh, league? he's unbelievable. Yeah, he's unbelievable. And you know what? Mike is driven. He's really driven. He's not one to get sidetracked. And it's, it's easier for this generation to get sidetracked. Everything's right there. You have instant access, you know, but it's social media or just anything. You can pretty much do and say anything. But with mm-hmm. him, he's always in the gym. He's always working on his game. He's always asking how to be better. He's raised right. His parents do a great job with him. It's a great support system with his family. His brother's really good, too, Jonte. It's really, yeah. really good. You know, I think one day he'll be a pro. Okay. But, they, I mean, they're just they're just good people, you know, good Midwestern people, and they really, really care about, you know, just each other's family and just their well-being. He's always in the gym. And he at 6'9", 6'10", and he shoots like a pro right now. He's a pro-level shooter. You know what I mean? It's different wow. if you go in L.A. Fitness, the guy makes 7 out of 10. Yeah. But a pro walks in. I don't care if he's the last guy on the team. He's going to make 10 out of 10 yep. or 9 out of 10. Yep. He's, a, he's that type of shooter right now. Wow. So, yeah, he, he can only get better. Now, Isaiah, I know you're good friends with Isaiah Thomas, um, the one with brother. Cleveland yeah. now. Yeah. How, you know, Cleveland's struggling 
Um, but obviously, I mean, Isaiah's not there. When he gets back, first of all, do you know how healthy, you know, you think he'll come back 100% and how much you think he'll help Cleveland when he comes back? I have no doubt. He'll be that guy that, like, legit secondary score. You know what I mean? LeBron's kind of missing. Obviously, you have guys who are very capable, D-Wade and Jr. and K-Love and Shumpert and Jeff Green will have big nights. And you have all the Derrick Rose, who I love, all those guys. But Isaiah, you know, you can put in 20-plus every single night. You can just put in the books. That's just his mentality. That's the way he can score the ball. And I think when you have a guy like that, it puts everybody else to kind of at ease. You know, they don't have so much pressure to try to do stuff, and things become easier for the rest of the team. And He's, he's excited, and he's, he's working out more. He's doing a lot more. Uh, you know, and, and he's responded well to the workouts he's doing. So I think it's just a matter of time now. But I'm excited. This is a, besides him being like my brother, just uh, as a basketball fan, to see what their team looked like holding it. Yeah, I was gonna say, is he like extra motivated? Because you know, people Kyrie's balling obviously in Boston, and they're winning. Um, is he really extra motivated to come out and just show people, look, this wasn't a bad trade for Cleveland and all that stuff? Absolutely. And the thing about Isaiah, it could be summer league. If he hears somebody say something, and he hears everything, believe you me. <laughs> so if he hears somebody on the street, <laughs> if he hears somebody on the street say something, he's, he's like, where's he at? Let's go. He's motivated. That's just kind of – that chip now has become like a boulder, you know, on his shoulders. So he's, he's, he's ready. And trust me, when he gets back on the court – and it's weird how things work out sometimes because he loves basketball like very few people I know. You know, he's watching every single game no matter what it is. He's never, there's never been a time he's called me off, called him, like, hey, let's go play, let's go shoot, and it didn't happen. Mm-hmm. You know, so he's, he's one of those guys. And for him to have the game taken away from you, you know, he just can't. It's like a whole different – he loved it and appreciated it more than almost anybody I know, but it's even a whole different level of appreciation when he gets back out there. Interesting. Now, you, um, you lived, I know, from Seattle, obviously, but you lived in Los Angeles or Inglewood for a good part of your uh, – you know, teenage years. Yeah. And the story, you know, it's been documented. You wanted to, you were living with your grandparents and your dad was also in Inglewood and you wanted to go back to Seattle, but you know, your mom in Seattle kind of wanted you to have your dad's influence on you and you, you know, you were your grandparents. And so you secretly buried a suitcase in your backyard (laughs) And 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 kind of <laughs> gradually packed it, you know, so they wouldn't notice all your clothes gone, and then flew to L.A. Uh, I'm sorry, back to Seattle from a ticket secretly because a ticket that your sister has sent you. Um, kind of take me back to that story and and why you did it, and then finally I want to hear you talk about like what do you think would have happened to you or your life if you had stayed in Inglewood instead of going to Seattle? Well, for me, uh, I'm, you know, born and bred in Seattle, but I was back and forth between Seattle and Los Angeles because, you know, my dad, my grandmother lived down there, and my mom thought I needed, a, you know, a male role model in my life because I was pretty much, to be honest with you, at that age, you know, I'm 8, 9, 10 years old coming in the house at 11, 12 at night. My mom was like, uh, uh-uh, you know, you run with the wrong crowd. It's time to go with your dad. So I went down there. I was there from 13 to 16. We lived in Inglewood. Funny story, uh, Paul Pierce, who I knew in Inglewood, he was 
in a barbershop one time. You know, we were both in a barbershop. And now, was he, what I'm was he, you were 14? Okay. So how old was yeah, he? Yeah, so he was like 17. So he 17, was like a senior 18, in high school or something? Yeah. yeah, and I'm like, this is the great Paul Pierce everybody's talking about. And he looked at me and was like, ain't you supposed to be in school right now? I'm 14 years old. You know, I'm ineligible. I'm not going to class like I should be. <laughs> like, ain't you supposed to be in school right now? You know, so I knew Paul, we got into an argument from 14 to 18. Think about it. Go ahead. I make to the NBA. He's a Hall of Famer. Like, you know, it's funny how life works out sometimes. But wow. anyway, did he back, know you? Did yeah, he know you crazy. had game and that you were wasting it? Oh, no, he knew. Or? We were going to the Exactly. The same barber was telling him, like, nah, he got game. P, he just got to get his stuff right, you know. And that's when P, like, really lit into me. Like, ain't you supposed to be in class? How are you going to go anywhere? You ain't going to class. You know, because at that age, when you're a senior, you may have four classes or five classes or whatever. Yeah. You know, you got a little more leeway than the guys a freshman in school. So, yeah, he let into me good. But uh, he had never even seen me play at that point, but he heard I was good. Okay. So, go back, going back to that, I, uh, you know, I was like, man, I'm down here in L.A. I got all these rules. I'm going to church every Sunday. Nothing wrong with church. <laughs> um, it's just so much structure. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. as far as, like, uh, you know, just I'm picking up dog poop. I got to water the grass three times a week. Like, I just had... <laughs> So many chores and things that I didn't have in Seattle. Seattle, I was coming and going as I pleased. No matter, you know, 12, 13 years old, I'm coming at 11 like, at night. That's just, I was kind of the man of the house. Yeah. So from that, I'm like, man, I got I to gotta get out of here. You know, I got to get out of here. <laughs> so finally, I built up enough courage in my sister. When I was 16, she sent me a plane ticket. But at that time, remember, it wasn't like electronic tickets. Like, they sent the plane ticket. Yeah. So I'm getting to the... I'm getting to the mail before my, my grandparents and my dad. I'm like, all right, it's just ticket. <laughs> so I finally get the ticket. It's for like a month, month and a half from now. And what I did was my suitcase, I buried it in the backyard. So every day I wore an outfit. I just threw it in the, you know, take it out to the when I was wild and grass or whatever, clean up the dog poop, I'd go drop my clothes in there. <laughs> and, of course, I didn't take everything because I couldn't, you know, yeah, like you tip it off clothes. and I was leaving. Yeah. So I left some clothes there. But that's what I did until the day finally came. And I finally got to the airport, and I remember a guy there. He was like, where are you going, Seattle? I'm like, man, the fans. Like, who's following me? This is crazy. <laughs> but at that point, once I got to the airport, and they knew once I got to Seattle, they knew they couldn't get me back. But I also knew once I got back to Seattle, I was going to get my stuff together and get serious about schooling, and the rest is history. So was was the motivation, did Pierce motivate you that I got to get my grades right so I can play ball, or was it just that you, you just wanted to go back to Seattle because it would be more lax. You know, you wouldn't have as many chores and much discipline. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, like, the pure stuff I never forgot, and that was part of it, but that wasn't the reason I left to get, you know what I mean? Like, the, yeah. I, I, I always wanted to, like, I never wanted to leave. You know, and I was basically, I wouldn't get in the exact same trouble, but I was basically not going to class and doing stuff, ditching class, running through the wrong crowd that I shouldn't have been doing anyway. And I was like, okay, I've seen enough. Once I get next to Seattle, now I have some structure. I know how to like set a table with a fork, nice spoon. You know, I, I've learned some things, so now I can go back and, and kind of make this change that I really want to make, and that's what I did. So, if you would say, let's say that didn't happen, and you stayed in Inglewood, you know, finished high school there, where do you think? What do you think your life would have turned out? Yeah, I think honestly, I, I believe you know those are destined, destined for it. It would have been, I think, a different route because I don't think I would have been serious with my grades. So I would have had to go to the JUCO route, and then from there, you know, anything can happen. But I, I don't, I don't know. You know, I think I still would have made it to this point. It has been a lot different journey as far as getting here. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, your your life and career, it's you know, I've read a lot about it. It's kind of been um, 
learning from your mistakes, you know, and making the necessary changes. Um, I know when I first met you, you, I think it was when you signed with the Knicks. And, you know, ever since I've known you, you've just been, you know, easygoing, really nice guy and all that. It's hard for me to imagine you another way, you know. But how would you say you were early in your career? Like, were you a much different type of person earlier in your career, like when you were at the Bulls and stuff like that? Oh, definitely, definitely. Like, I played with Eddie Curry in, in Chicago, and I played with him again in New York. When we got to New York, he was like, man, who are you? Like, <laughs> it was a whole different transformation. Because my first year, you know, coming to Chicago, I, I, my league, I wanted to be the next Allen Iverson. I had 35 pictures here on my wall. That's where all the tattoos came from. That's where the chains came from, the bandanas. Like, I wanted to be the next Allen Iverson. You know what I mean? That was my yeah. whole thing. Like, I wanted, I felt like I had that street game. I could relate to him. You know, so for me, going to Chicago, like, I was like, you know, I'm here to take over the league. I'm here, you know, that, <laughs> that was my thinking. Yeah. You know, like, can't nobody guard me. Can't nobody, you know, can't nobody guard me. You know, this is all that. So I had so much growing to do. And don't forget, when I went into the NBA, I was 19, 19 years old, you know. So I had so much learning to do and so much more uh, things to go through, you know, and how to respond to certain things and how to learn. And for me, I think – not only it was the beginning part of Chicago, because when I tore my ACL, and at that time, people weren't really coming back from ACL. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, that yeah. was, you know, even 10 years before that, it was taking people out. So when I tore my ACL, it really allowed me to slow down, to grow, to really get to know me, to really see what I really wanted out of my career, like what I really wanted, you know. And and for me, that helped me grow up. And by that third, fourth year in Chicago, everything was all good. But the first two years, boy, it was rough. <laughs> like, I was that, that young guy on the team that nobody wanted. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. nobody wants me. He's a hard hit. I want to be around him. That was me. Wow. That was totally me. You, you worked out with Michael Jordan a lot, I think, when he was talking about coming back to play in Washington. Yeah, it's the Wizards. What did uh-huh. you – what was that like? I mean, do, what were some – there are any incidents or stories you remember that kind of illustrate how great he was or how competitive or determined or anything like that? Yeah, you know what? The first time I actually met him, Tim Grover called me and was like, hey, MJC, you can meet him. And it was weird because my dad had told me that he really, you know, I'm hearing Jordan likes your game. You know, and my <laughs> dad, by the way, played at Oregon with Kevin Love's dad. They played together. Okay. But he was like, I'm hearing Jordan like your dad. I'm like, man, come on, dad. Like, how are you going to hear that? This is before <laughs> social media. This is, you know, this is awesome. Whatever. So, anyways, one day I get drafted by Chicago. Tim Grover calls me. He's like, hey, MJ said you could meet him. He calls me early. I'm like, all right. So, I get down there at about 6.30. No, about 7. I get down there about 7 o'clock. Jordan's in there working out. It's just me, him, and Grover in the weight room. And we're talking. I'm like, I'm, I can't believe I'm in here with Michael Jordan. Like, this is the first time I ever met him. It's 7 o'clock in the morning. He had been there since 5.30 in the morning. He was trying to make a comeback, and he was 40. So I'm like, this dude's 40 years old, and he's working wow. out at 5.30 in the morning. Like, so that, was the, that, that struck me initially. Like he, when I went in there, I don't know if you've ever seen that thing in the weight room where you kind of put those, uh, those booties on your feet, and you can slide like a defensive slide. He was doing that drill when I walked in there. I'll never forget it. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And then – and then it got to a point we started playing together. And, uh, you know, if he happened to lose, at first he would play without me, and he would lose, and he would go sit in the corner by himself like he lost the championship game. He would not <laughs> talk to anybody. I walked in there. And then it got to a point he wouldn't play until I got there because I had to work out with the Bulls at the Burrow Center. 
drive 30 minutes downtown. And then we, from that point on, we played together two summers and never lost one game. In two summers, every single day. Really? Wow. Yeah, wow. and I felt my game coming to another level. Like, it was crazy. Like, playing with him. You know, when you play with better people, you become better. And yep. it just, like, I, I felt my game going to a whole different level. And he really, like, took me under his wing. I started going to his house. Started, you know, it was just, like, normal. Like, he's the person, to be honest with you, he's the guy who told me where to go to get my surgery for my ACL. Really? In Alabama. Because you remember he was down there in Birmingham. Yeah. yeah like, he, yeah. it was like, that's the instant. I, I, Take I, a step further. No, go ahead. I'm sorry. Take a step further. Michael Jordan is the one that made the introduction with Jay-Z happen. Imagine being so cool with Michael Jordan. He's like, I'm like, man, I want to meet Jay-Z. He's like, you know what I mean? Okay. You know, so imagine that. <laughs> so you told him you, you wanted to meet Jay-Z and he made it happen. Yeah. yeah, he made it happen. He picked me to be in a commercial with him. Uh, I was in the commercial when he was the, I don't know if you remember that, it was a Gatorade commercial when he was the old Jordan versus the younger Jordan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He picked me to be in that with him. And he had somebody do the dunk scenes, but he picked me to be in that with him as well. And I just saw him again this summer to reconnect, and it was cool. My son went to his camp, and my nephew went to his camp, actually. What is that like, you know, meeting – I mean, you met Jay-Z, you met Jordan. but Obviously, you're going to meet the basketball players that you grew up idolizing. But meeting other superstars, you know, Jay-Z, and I'm sure you met many more. What is that like for a 19-, 20-year-old kid? Yeah, it's it's like it's it's so unbelievable because these are guys that just a year ago or two years ago were like so far fetched. You know what I mean? Like they it's almost like they lived in the sky. Like you'll never see a Michael Jordan, you'll never see a Jay Z. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it was so far fetched that it didn't even seem possible. You know, but for some of my favorite people ever, like Jay Z, Michael Jordan, uh, Isaiah Thomas, Magic Johnson, for these people to not only know my name, but like my game and like me. Like, I couldn't even dream of that. You you mentioned how you changed a lot in your career um, from early on. D- like, a lot of pe- people, you see a lot of players mature in leaps and bounds over the course of their career. You know, what is it like to be a 20-year-old kid, sometimes even younger, and all of a sudden you maybe maybe you grew up without a lot of money, and all of a sudden you're a multi-millionaire with basically the world at your hands. You know, you can do whatever you want to do. That has to be a, a tough transition. I hate to say tough, but you know what I mean? Like, to all of a sudden you got all the money you you could dream of and you can meet all these celebrities and you got people treating you like a superstar. I think people don't realize how – much of a transition that can be for a kid, you know, all of a sudden to have that overnight. Right. And there's no real manuscript for it. It's no manual. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's just, it's, it's, it's almost, it's almost a surreal feeling. You know, so imagine if somebody on the street right now just happened to win the lottery for $20 million. Like, dang, what do I do? <laughs> you know, like I, I do, <laughs> what do I do now? Yeah. Go get it you know what I mean? Just whatever it is, I can go do this. Stuff you dreamed about the day before, like, you know, whether it was a car, a house, getting your mom a house, stuff you dreamed, like, was so far-fetched because they're dreams and you want goals, but still, you know, a lot of people don't, don't get a chance to accomplish their dreams or reach their dreams. So it's so, it's like, how can you, you know, condemn somebody who's never had anything and now they can have everything? Yeah, they're going to act a fool. Mm-hmm. You know, they're mm-hmm. going to. Mm-hmm. You know, especially if there's not somebody in their corner or coming from a stable situation or mentors or the guys where they know, because why else would they know, you know, what to do? 
Yeah. And so it's just, you know, and, and sometimes you got to take your lumps. And for me personally, I've always learned more, like, going through it. Like, oh, I got, okay, that, this isn't for me. This isn't what I need to be doing. I'll never do it again. Like, And I have no problem dropping something cold turkey. Like, you know, that's like, I can do that with no problems. I saw so you did. Me, I, yeah, I saw there. I read, Um, I think it was in the Undefeated story, about how you were gambling a lot early on. You know, you lost like a – yeah, tell me about that. Yeah, you know, and and that was something I've always done. When I was a kid in high school, you know, eighth grade, I used to shoot dice, you know, and and gamble. Obviously, it was never for that amount. It would be for ones or it would be, you know, for lunch or whatever it might be. And obviously, you know, the more you come into, the more you can win or lose, you know. So, for me, I I got into it, and then I, I got deeper than I needed to get. I lost. End up losing the car, and that was it. I'm like, oh man, like I really lost. I took my basketball out, like here, and I never did it again with you know people like that. Did you say like, you lost street, your car? Never... Yeah, yeah. So you had to get out of the car, like that right that moment. Somebody took your car. That was it. I took my basketball out. You got it. Sign and you had to walk home. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Wow. It. What kind but, of car was but it? For me, it was a Mercedes. But for me. It was great, not that I lost the car, but it was great that I learned from that. And I never, like, it's not, sometimes in life it's not a loss, it's a lesson. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, that was an absolute lesson. And something I never did again. But imagine, and that's when I was on my rookie contract. So imagine now with the money I made in my career, if I still had had that problem or had not been through it. Now the loss would be way more because I have way more, you know, money and access to things. You know, so I'm yeah. glad I went through it in my first couple of years and was done with it. Wow. That's I'm I'm still tripping off the car. Like that moment, it was like somebody else drove off in your car. And you, yeah. You was, was just it. left with the my, my shiny my shiny my shiny ride, man. I was like, oh this, <laughs> this is serious, <laughs> but right? You know, you know when you know when you're a high draft pick and you're a rookie, you usually get a truck and a car. That was kinda of like the yeah. thing. You know, right, you're gonna get a truck, you're gonna get a car. So my car left. <laughs> who who I took had the car? Yeah, who took the car? Who? Oh, the guy I lost to. Oh, it wasn't yeah, a player. It wasn't another player. No, no, no. It wasn't okay, a it wasn't a player. It's the guy I lost to. Yeah, and I took my basketball out. <laughs> and I had it in the truck. Go. Wow. <laughs> how big is gambling? I mean, obviously, I've covered the league a long time. I heard stories, but how big is gambling in the NBA culture? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of guys do it now. It's not even for as much the money part. I think it's the bypass time. You know, you may have a three-hour flight, four-hour flight. You may not just want to watch movies or, you know, listen to music or whatever. So guys play cards. Obviously, everybody's competitive. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes it goes there. You know, sometimes it's little things you lose. Sometimes it's big things. I've heard stories as well. But, you know, I just, for me, I just always like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not getting back in that world. You know, because I had a tough loss. You yeah. know, but I learned from it, and that was for me. Yeah. So on the plane, do you play cards with guys? You just don't gamble, no, no, or you no, no. just more no, chilling? No. What do you do on the no. plane? I don't even. I don't even watch. I just. I, I got my iPad. I'm doing a question answer on Twitter. I'm listening to music. I'm okay. watching the movie. That's okay. it. Oh, I'm asleep. <laughs> yeah. I don't even. Do you um? Do you talk to the young guys in the league that you encounter about? some of the mistakes you made and do they listen or do you, do they just got to experience it themselves? I think both. Like I, I definitely give the knowledge I got at this point and tell them different things. And, you know, I think they listen, you know, but it's it's almost like 
a person can listen, but they're like, hey, you know, this is hot. Mm-hmm. Like, no, nah, it's not that hot. I want to touch it. Is it really that hot? Let me touch it and see. You know, yeah. so sometimes you got to do that, go through it to kind of say, okay, it is hot. You're right. I ain't messing with it. Mm-hmm. But if you don't ever touch it, it's going to always be in your head. Like, I wonder if I could really touch it and not get burned. Let me see how hot that is. You yep. know? Yep. Yep. Yeah. One of the young, obviously really hyped young players, Lonzo Ball, um, he's come in with tremendous hype. I can't remember the last player to come in with this much. How do guys in the league look at that? Is there any resentment that he's getting so much publicity? I mean, I saw ESPN hype the Lakers game against the Celtics last week as Lonzo Ball. Not Lonzo versus Kyrie, not Celtics versus Lakers, but Lonzo Ball. Do you think their guys resent that and are going at him extra hard? Also, his dad obviously has created a lot of the hype. Yeah, I think for him personally, because he's so, if you listen to his interviews, he's such a polished kid. Like he's he's not one to make you not like him. Mm-hmm. He's a great teammate. He's a you know from everything you read and hear, he's a great teammate. I got a chance to know him and, and Melo a little bit, and those guys are great. And Lonzo's great. You know what I mean? So I think most of that is from the attention he's getting. But he's not. If you really look at it, he's not doing anything to try to get attention. Mm-hmm. Like he's just playing. He's just hooping. You mm-hmm. know so. You know, obviously he's not saying, okay, ESPN or whoever it might be, you know, say it's the Lonzo Ball show, you yeah. know, or whatever it might be. And and they're not stupid. You know, people, what's hot is going to get viewers, get viewers, get more money. Like, it's, it's all connected. So, but for him, at the root of it, he's just a good kid who's just playing. And I couldn't imagine being, you know, 19, 20 years old with that kind of pressure. Yeah. I had enough pressure being a lottery, a lottery pick, you know, like going <laughs> yeah. to Chicago. That kind of pressure, that's totally different. You got two great young teammates in Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins. Um, what do you see for them in the future? Like, how bright is their future as players? Yeah, I think they can be as good as they want to be. You know, and it's it's really cool that they're coming up together, different positions, you know what I mean? So there's a solid foundation there. You know, as long as you keep those two for, you know, X amount of years and you keep solid veterans around them and good players around them, then they'll always be able to learn you know, from the guys who are older, these guys are only 22 years old, mm-hmm. you know, so, mm-hmm. you know, they're already pillars in, in, in uh, NBA franchise at 22. So when you have guys who are good at showing them the right way and things to do, things not to do uh, around them, I think they'll just continue to grow and mature. I think they could be, like you said, a super team. I mean, arguably y'all already got a ton of talent um, to be maybe a quote unquote super team. But you were just – you just left the super team. I I say all the time, I mean, the Clippers had a top five point guard in Chris Paul, top five center in DeAndre Jordan, top five power forward in Blake Griffin, a great shooter, J.J. Redick, one of the best six men of all time in you. Like, why do you think it didn't work there with the Clippers? I think – honestly, I think it was – part of it was – I'm not sure we're mentally tough enough for it to work. You know, when things are going good and everybody's, you know, rolling, everything's easy. But when things get tough and then you splinter and you don't respond well, you know, those – and sometimes we did respond well. I remember one series we played San Antonio, which, by the way, was the toughest series I've ever played in my life, like a team in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we lost, I think. We were down 2-1, had to go win game four in their court. We are down 3-2, had to go win game uh, six on their court and then had to win game seven with CP getting hurt. So we showed some resolve and, and some, uh, you know, like real heart and character, but other times we didn't. And then other times our best two players got hurt 
in the playoffs. It wasn't like it happened in December and they had two months to come back. Like, you know, so it was some of it was bad luck and some of it was self-inflicted. But you're right. I think we were one of the – if you look, I mean, at that, that time period, we won like the third or fourth most games in five years. Like, yeah. we, we were really, really, like really, really, really good team who had the potential to, I thought, get to the championship. I've heard players say um, the culture was bad. You know, obviously Chris Paul left. Did you feel the culture was really that bad there? I, I was there under two different – uh, coaches, honestly, like I know how it was when we had Vinny, you know, and then we had a different team because we had Chauncey, we had Karan, we had Willie Green, we had Grant Hill, we had Lamar Odom, you know. So I guess I don't know if that was one culture, and then the next culture was when Doc and we got different players. You mm-hmm. know, I'm not sure exactly how they meant it when they said it, but for us, I thought, you know, we were like any family. To be honest with you, we were, we were good. We argued, you know, we were, uh, we had each other's backs, but. You know, maybe after, you know, a certain amount of time, five, six years together of not breaking through, maybe, you know, things ain't – you kind of wear thin a little bit. Yeah. You know, sometimes jokes aren't funny. You, you know what I mean? Like, yep. it's like, oh, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it just it became, that. I think, that and it was the time to go in a different direction. I read, I think it was the Sports Illustrated story where you said you'd never been yelled at by a teammate the way C- Chris Paul would yell at you. What was that like, and what was he like as a teammate? Oh, he was great as a teammate. He was unbelievable. But I had never been yelled at like that, so I'm like, what? You know, <laughs> like it takes you all the way back to your childhood. Like, you ain't going to yell at me like that, you know. <laughs> but then once you, once you learn Chris and once you get to know him and once you see, that's just who Chris is. Chris would yell at his dad if he was on the court. Like, it's not nothing mm. personal because Chris is really just trying to win. Like, that's all it comes down to. He's not trying to embarrass you. He's not saying it for his own uh, gain. He's not saying it for anything else but to win that night. Mm-hmm. And once you learn that, then you don't hear the yelling no more. You just hear the message and what he's saying. Mm-hmm. So that's what happened. And that was the first year. I'm like, okay. By the midseason, I'm like, oh, okay. He's not yelling at me like that. He's he's yelling for the betterment of the team. Yeah. And once you see that, then it, you know, then it became like, oh, okay. You start tuning that part of it out and you just tune what he's, what he's saying. Like, okay, I got you. Another big name teammate of yours was Ron Artest or Meta World Peace back in Chicago. Yeah, you had him yeah, earlier in his career. I, yeah, what I was Ron? Yeah, <laughs> what was that like? I mean, no, he was like you said, you were kind of young and immature. He was too at that point. Yeah, yeah, he. But you know what? He was an unbelievable defender. He was unbelievably competitive. He was unbelievably strong. He was all around. You know and. He just was real. That's the one thing I remember about Ron. He was just real. You know, it was never like, I'm in the NBA now. This, He was just real. If he was down for you, he was down all, all the way for you. You know, and we've seen that over the years. And yep. That's just who he is. And I love him. I love him as a teammate. You, you've you won, what's a record, three six-man-of-the-year awards. Um, what do you want people to think of when they hear your name, you know, as a basketball player? Uh, I, don't, I don't want it to be the awards. I don't want it to be – you know, anything else, but he brought something to the game. Like, he brought something. I'm going to remember him. Because, you know, there's been guys who've been all-stars, and if you say their name 10 years from now, you'd be like, oh, who, who do you play for? You know, mm-hmm. so for me, mm-hmm. I just want you to, you know, 10, 15, 20 years from now, I just want you to say, I remember him. Like, oh, he was nice. I remember him. Because there's been guys who are all-stars, even Hall of Famers. Like, oh, you know, if you go back 20, 30 years, who some people may not know. Yep. You know, so for me, I just want you to be like, all right, 
disremember me. Well, you I don't even know if you know this. You're about to pass Dr. J in points, in NBA scoring. You need like 167 points to pass him. <laughs> Did you know that? Were you aware of that? I wasn't aware it was that close, but, I, you know, once you – start going the names start jumping out like when I pass Magic or Pistol Pete I'm like man this is I would have never <laughs> if you would have told me I was a kid you'll pass Magic Johnson in points or Pistol Pete in points one day I would have never believed you you know so to pass Dr. J and, and these guys like come on man I had the Dr. J hoop that was the first hoop I ever had with his face on the on the on the uh on the backboard wow. and I actually have a picture of him this summer well I was at I went to the big three and me and my picture together and he, he was talking to me and he really liked my game I'm like Dr. J. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, this is a dream. And sometimes people don't get it until it's too late. Yeah. But I'm able to really take it in even while I'm in the moment. Like, this is Dr. J. Like, I'm, I've never been jaded. I've always been humbled by that. Like, this is Dr. J. This is guys I grew up admiring. Yeah. So, for me, that's just like, it's amazing. I uh, I told you at the beginning of the podcast, I, I, I had just done my top five game dunkers of all time. So here's my uh-huh. list, and then I wanted to uh, if you if you have a list, I wanted to get your list. At number five, okay. at number five, I got your former teammate Blake Griffin. Who I think I that's that's okay. a controversial one. Number four, okay. I got Michael Jordan. Number three, yeah. Dominique Wilkins. Yeah. Number two, Doctor J, and number one, Vince Carter. Oof. I'll go with those same five, but I got to put in, being from Seattle, I got to put in the Rain Man, Sean Kemp. Yeah, that's, see, that's the controversial one. So who you taking out? Who you taking out? You got to – I'm not taking th- – that's, that's the top six then. I'm not taking out nobody. <laughs> I just, I, hey, I'm, I'm the sixth man. I, I've earned that right to get six. I'm going to put <laughs> I feel you. I feel you on that, man. Um, look, you 37. I, I know – I mean, you probably want to play forever. How much longer do you really think you'll play? For me, I think I'm in the, I'm in the outlier as far as, like, age. And if you just watched me play, right, and you didn't know my age, you just watched me play a game and you saw me play, how old would you think I was? Oh, oh early 30s? See? So, for me, the age part doesn't matter. I think age is only an issue when it starts to show when guys aren't moving as quick, when they're not, you know what I mean? Like when they're not doing the same things they're once doing. Mm -hmm. So for me, I don't think the age part will be it. I think it will be more so, you know, when I can't get double figures off the bench because I'm getting all the opportunity to at a time, you know, the minutes to do it, but I can't do it. If I can't help the team win or if I'm not in love with it anymore. Mm -hmm. So when one of those things happens, I know it's time to go. Do you, do you know what you want to do when you're done playing career wise? Yeah, I, yeah, I want to get in the front office for sure. Okay, absolutely. Because I've seen you do broadcasting and you're good, but you rather do in the front office. Yeah, I rather do the front office. I, I like broadcasting. I love talking about the game. I think I have a lot of knowledge and like I study it. You know, I can go learn something from somebody right now. I just at a random gym, just watch it. Mm-hmm. So for me, and I enjoy that. So for me, I, I could see somewhere in between the two, but definitely the front office or broadcasting. I'm gonna hit you with a couple front office questions. One. Who's the best player in the NBA right now? Who's playing the best, or if I had to build a team? Like, uh, we got uh, to right. make that question. 
<laughs> well, let's go with both. First, first of all, who's playing the best right now? This season, not, you know, past last year, but this season, who's playing the best right, right. now? Right now, today, who's, who's had the, the most impact on the season would probably be Greek Freak or James Harden right okay. now, today. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, but I don't think they're the best players in the NBA. Who's the best? Yeah, I think he still all roads lead to Cleveland or or, <laughs> or Golden State with Durant. Okay, like I think you know. You yeah. it sounds so. I still would go with LeBron, but this. Yeah. But I agree. I think it's LeBron or Durant. Yeah, yeah. I think it's one of those two as the best player, just like the real life best player in the world. Yeah, one you. If you had to pick one, which one? See, these are the tough front office <laughs> questions, man. <laughs> I couldn't. I know, right? I couldn't, but you couldn't go wrong with you couldn't go wrong with either one. <laughs> All right, who's the you, you couldn't, s- because if you think about it, right? If you think about it, I'm not saying like if you switched and put Katie in the East and LeBron in the West, you know, maybe that changes the narrative of the story. I'm not saying LeBron doesn't still reach, you know, seven straight finals, but mm-hmm. maybe it's different. Maybe it's harder. Maybe it's you know who knows. Like it's just. I, that's how I try to look at things. I don't try to look at just like if I put this person in this situation, could he still? Because that's what I've had to go through. Mm-hmm. So it's easy for me to think like that. Like if I put him in this situation, could he still thrive? Could mm-hmm. he still? You know what I mean? Do you? And th- obviously those two can do it. Do you think um, Cleveland still wins the East? Depend on when Isaiah gets back. Because right now, other teams are gaining confidence. You know, like they're gaining confidence, like oh. Cleveland may have a chink in their armor, mm-hmm. you know, because they haven't seen, you know, Isaiah with Cleveland yet. So they don't know how that's going to fit. They know how it looked with Kyrie there because that's what they had seen for years. Yeah. You know, and they saw when even when Cleveland was struggling, they saw how they ramped it up the second half of the season. And it's tough when you've been in three straight finals like that, you know, where to find the motivation from every single night. Yeah. So, I, I think that's a big yeah. part of what's going on with them. So what right. what player you said uh, that you would build it around? If you had to start a team today, who would you start it with? Ooh. Like a young player? Most like likely. Like age? Like we don't yeah, cause like younger or 23 or younger? Because you, you, yeah, cause you're saying, you know, you're building a team for the future, not to win the mark. You know what I mean? So, yeah, i say a young player. All right. Okay. Are, are we saying they're all healthy? Yep. Uh, if it's all healthy, I got to go to Embiid. Yeah, he's a monster. Yeah, he's a monster. Well, he's d- really – I've been in with him, worked out with him, where he's shooting threes, like making them repeatedly. Like, so I've seen his work. Like, if we're going all healthy and, like, you know, nobody can get hurt, it's just I'm going with, I think, Embiid. So you would – because a lot of people I, – I think a lot of people would go with him too, but a lot of people might also say, well, the big man error is kind of dead. You know what I mean? Is you need a, a, yeah, a three-point shooter or whatever. Go ahead. Right. But when you're that good, I think you kind of transcend anything. You know what I mean? Because think about it. Before Steph and Golden State, they didn't think you could really win a championship shooting threes. Oh, yeah. You're you know what right. I mean? So you got you to gotta kind of break the mold. And I think he's that talent that could break the mold. So I'll help you. You mentioned uh, Steph and Golden State. How do, you, how do you think a team can beat them in a seven-game series? Oof. That's a tall order. That's a tall order because at this point, they're even more comfortable than they were last year. Mm-hmm. Last year, you, you kind of hoped they wouldn't figure it out as fast. You kind of hoped that 
you know, they would figure out who's going to be the guy and who, you know what I mean? Like just those little things that yeah. go to, you hope egos will play a part as a competitor. You hope egos will play a part, things like that. But now it's even more of an, an easier uh, transition for those guys. They kind of figure out everything. So it's tough. I think that's kind of like the Chinese riddle. That's the one everybody is, <laughs> is trying, trying to figure, figure out. out. Yeah, yeah. All right, let's do a, a little bit of rapid fire, real quick responses okay. before we go. Um, your best Ron Artest story when you guys were with the Bulls? The best Ron Artest story is when it was actually when he got traded from the Bulls to Indiana. He was still coming back to Chicago to sleep in his bed at night at first because he couldn't sleep when he got traded what? down there. <laughs> yeah, I think was, he was driving back to Chicago to uh, you know to get a good night's rest and go back to Indiana. <laughs> wow, how long did he do that? Now, I don't think it lasted long, but he did it a couple of times for sure. Wow, that's incredible! Because he couldn't get a good, he couldn't sleep in Indianapolis. Yeah, yeah, he couldn't sleep. Wow, that is a great story. Um, best teammate you ever had, like the best player, you know? Oh, that's it. That's it. Oh, best player. Best player. Oof. I'm not sure I can pick one, but just straight like, oof. That's tough. That's tough. Cause, <laughs> you know, I've I played with Blake. I've played with CP. I've played with, uh, you know, Stephon Marbury, who was just talented, yeah. like crazy talented. I played with Marcus. I played with Joe Johnson, who's underrated to me. So, I mean, that's like the top shelf. So yeah. I, can't, I can't just pick one. But, yeah. Okay. Yeah. But what about the best teammate? Like, you know, greatest teammate. You know what I mean? Locker room guy, all that. Yeah, this, you know what? After this long, it'd be – but I've I played with Ronnie Turioff. I've played with Malik Rose, Grant Hill, Chauncey, Allen Houston. You know what I mean? Rick yep. Brunson was great. Charles Oakley was great. Like, I had so many. I would, I would do somebody a disservice. I try to name some of them like that. Willie Green was great. Like, okay. I had so many great teammates. Best, yeah. best coach you ever played for? Uh, I'm going to go with Larry Brown. Okay. Okay. Uh, He's an unbelievable teacher. Now, is, how, is it hard? Was it hard to play for Larry? Because I heard stories like, you know, obviously, especially you, I think, more than even a lot of players, you want to run, right? I mean, you want to play five-on-five five in practice. You want to yeah. scrimmage. And I heard Larry yeah. would be stopping practice, like, all oh, the time. <laughs> yeah. at, the core, at the core of who he is, he's a teacher. So, for me, I didn't understand it at first, but I was willing to buy into it. You know what I mean? So it was like I didn't understand it. And now looking back at this point, I'm like, oh, he was unbelievable. Because yeah. He was such a teacher. I remember one time, man, he told us we played Phoenix when they had Nash. You can go back and look, and we beat them at triple overtime. He was like, we're not going to run on them unless it's a steal or a block. Other than that, we're going to control pace and walk the ball court every single time. And we're like, what? <laughs> and we did that and beat them. So mm. he was just – he was unbelievable. He's the best coach, I would say. How frustrating was it when you trying to go five on five and he stops it because you didn't show right on the pick oh, yeah, and roll go, or something, you know? You'll go crazy. You'll go crazy. You'll go crazy. But if you can get through that, then it was all worth it in the end. Yeah. You know, it's just all the teaching, all the topics. You know, you just want to get up and hoop yep. and just play it. No, that ain't happening. We stopping every single possession. <laughs> you never really running or anything. You stopping, you teach it. What was the the biggest? So what, good one yeah, yeah, you have, yeah. Biggest what if of Jamal Crawford's career? 
what if I had never, and I played as long, obviously, if I had never changed position to stay the point guard? Because now the scoring point guard is like the end thing. Mm-hmm. You know, so if I had never, if I had never came off the bench and I had just stayed as a starting point slash combo guard my whole career, that's probably one of the biggest what ifs. Would you have rather been a point guard than the yeah, two? Yeah, I would have. Okay. I would have, I would have, but I, like I said, I prided myself on being able to adjust to anything. So I was the point guard until we brought in Kirk Heinrich. They're like, okay, you're going to play, oh no, Jay, Jay Williams at first. And then they're like, okay, you're going to play two towards the end of the season. I'm like, all right. Then I started scoring a lot of points. And then they brought in Heinrich. They're like, okay, you're a full time too. And I scored 50. And from there, that was it. I was a two guard. Then I started playing with Stephon Marbury after that. So I was a two guard. But you would prefer, so you would have preferred maybe to be. You know, a high assist guy with maybe, you know, 17, 18 to 20 points a game versus oh, yeah. a guy that goes out and gets Easily. 50 sometimes. Okay. Yeah. I would rather, I would rather get 20 and 10 than 30 and 5, if that makes okay. sense. Okay. Yeah. 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 They're the same. They, they accumulate the same amount of points. So I'd rather be 20 and 10 than 30 and 5. That's interesting because I don't think people see you that way. You know, they just think you as a scorer. They don't. That's what's so interesting about it. Yeah. That's what's so interesting about it. Like, Think about this, like when it's all said and done with my career, God willing, I'll be over 20,000 points, be top five in India's all-time three-point list. Like you would have never expected that for a guy who was like a journeyman, I guess. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. you would have expected that. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's just been interesting. Been interesting. Right. Last thing, man, when you retire, whenever that is, will you play in the big three? I have to. I have to go play in the big three. I have to go. I have to go play in that for at least one summer. Because no matter when I retire, now I'm gonna be playing in some gym, random gym somewhere across the country. So why not go play in the man, big three? Man, I, I could see you having like a ten year career in the big three. <laughs> as much as you love the game, three, one year. <laughs> yeah, I'll be one year in the big three. Me and Cube, I told him, I said, man, when I retire, I'm coming. He's like, man, we'll be ready for you. So <laughs> I'll play one year in the big three whenever I retire, and then I'll just be in local gyms all across the country. Wow. Well, yo, man, I appreciate the time. Uh, great stories. And um, good luck for the rest of the season, man. Have a great year. I appreciate it, Chris. Thank you. All Thanks right. for having me, man. Anytime. All right, brother. Peace.